0: Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. I am starting this podcast because our producer Dylan has a little bit of cold. My name is Peter Englert and I am the director of adult ministries at Browncroft. I'm here with my co-host John Amayo, the New York State crew director at Why God Why. This is a podcast where we ask the 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. I'm really excited about today's guest. Her name is Dr. Elizabeth Gerhard, we call her Beth. She's a professor of theology and social ethics at Northeastern Seminary. She's also an author and a scholar. It's very exciting to have her. And the topic that we'll be talking about is why do we still struggle with gender equality? John, this reminds me of our episode with Dr. Torrance Sparkman, where mm. we talked about why racism is so prevalent. And um, here's the deal. We are two white men trying to engage this topic in a way um, that's healthy. What do you think?
1: Yeah. I mean, again, this is one of those topics that I think, and, and we, this is similar to the way that we talked about why is the justice system so unjust, like in our previous podcast with James Noble, I think we are surrounded by such information in our society right now that I think one of the things we can do is we can look at other places in the world globally and go, wow, we are so much more advanced here in America. And there's almost a safety involved in that. Um, When you look at really some of the tragic things that are happening to women across the world, it should cause all of us to to go that needs to stop and and stop now at the same time we have things that are happening right here in our country that we need to pay attention to too and i think of you know as someone who works on the college uh, college campuses uh, the me too movement um, the idea that uh, some research that I saw recently was that a third of women in schools will be assaulted at some point in their college career that 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 cannot be I mean that that should cause all of us to stand up and go this is not something that we can just accept um, and yet I think because sometimes we feel so powerless to know what to do with some of this, it can cause a little inaction rather than moving this conversation forward in a healthy way. And sometimes, honestly, um, you know, we realize, you and me, as we talk about this podcast, that you know our hope is that people who are listening to this, not everybody is following Jesus. Some of you are listening to this because you're trying to figure this out, and we invite that. And maybe— you're a woman who's listening to this, who's been hurt by the church in some way, and so our our goal through this is really for this to be a place where we listen, a place where uh, we also hopefully can bring a little bit of healing as well uh, through this process. Um, Peter, your perception on that?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, when I think of gender inequality. Um, you know, you brought up you know the Me Too movement, but there there's just some staggering facts that no matter what side of the political argument you're on, mm-hmm. um, the pay scale, um, you know, just even our language. You know, it was interesting working with you know Beth about this question, how even when we talk about this issue, the pressure is put on women to fix it as opposed to really having a broader sense. And I know that Beth's going to bring that up. And going back to what you just said. We do these podcasts because we want to have a better conversation about it, and we're not asking all of you to agree with every person we interview, and especially with this issue, but we are asking for you to listen in such a way that you would be humble, Um, and whether you go to church or follow Jesus or not, I think what Beth brings that's very unique is a scholarly response to how Jesus um, approached and treated and saw the value of women, which was very different than the time. So dare I say scandalous yes.
1: in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll let her tell that. <laughs> because she's the professional. I'm well, just no. Yeah. <laughs> well, great to have you here, Beth. Thank you us. so much. Yeah. So much Thank for you. Joining us.
0: Well, Beth, let's get started yeah. um in this sense. You know, why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you've done mm-hmm. um, you know, in gender studies and uh as a professor just to give us some context
2: um yeah if i if i could start even earlier i I came into this whole area of gender equality and um through working with abuse women Mm -hmm. um so i started um i've had a few different careers my second career um was being a social worker and working in the field of violence against women as a shelter uh director And then a larger women's program working with women who have been sexually assaulted. Um, And through that work and experience, realizing uh, that these are not just a few women, um, but many women in the United States, about 25% of women, and more if they're younger, um, experience sexual um, assault or violence in some way. And that this is very tied into uh, global violence against women. And what's at the real heart of that um, being gender inequality. Um, so wrestling, you know, in those early years with particularly with pastors and um, sometimes, um, wondering why I was doing this work. If I was a Christian, um, about separating, concerned about the separation of families and realizing that many Christian leaders and pastors were not educated in this area, um, that actually it's God's will that women are safe. Um, and I consider the perpetrators the one that is separating families, not, um, women trying to help women. Um, so I started my work then uh, working with uh, pastors and uh, ministers and starting a ministry to educate them in this area and this field, um, which led me to actually going back to school and getting my doctorate and working on a theological foundation. That was my dissertation, a theological foundation for the work um, of domestic violence, ending violent, domestic violence. Um, and so that kind of has Led me then um to teaching in this area, um, and we're and continue to work with women
0: mm.
1: man, I, I appreciate your perspective a ton, and you know, I have people in my life, uh, close people to me who have walked through that um system of abuse, mm. and people who have walked with Jesus and yet um, uh, one situation that I'm thinking of in particular, um, they recounted the story to me of going to a pastor and telling that their pastor about the situation and the pastor's response was, you're going to hell because you're, you're, uh, you know, she was, she was like, I can't live with my husband anymore. He's abusive toward me and our kids. Um, and that just broke my heart. I, just, I, I couldn't believe—it It broke my heart on one level, and then on another level, I got so mad that I wanted to, <laughs> to go and just break down the door and go, like, I can't believe that anybody would do that. It, it, I, I was, Honestly, I was shocked that that was the reality. But you're saying that that's more common than what we realize. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, th- I think fortunately, um, a lot of pastors today at least are more aware— Mm. Um, given the Me Too movement, you know, that there's a more of a sensitivity. Although I still continue to hear mm. awful stories, yeah. Um, but that's why I think it's it's very important for all leaders and in institutions or in churches or to be really aware. I mean, look at what happened, for example, with the gym- gymnastics community mm. with the you know the young girls. Um, oh my goodness, horrible sexual abuse um, and other institutions. So it's an institutional support of violence um, that we need to start taking crack. Of. So I, I see gender inequality is this kind of soup or this this culture that supports violence. Mm. Um, and we support it by leaders, whether they're pastoral leaders or other institutional leaders. Um colluding with silence, um, or when they know something's going on, hush-hushing it, um, or maybe just moving that person quietly out of that position, but not really holding abusers accountable. Um, and we support it with our language. I, If I could give an example, I, I know this is a little controversial, but it's um, a few years ago when we had a candidate, uh, Donald Trump, uh, was heard. On video, making, uh, talking about women in an extremely upsetting, vile way of things he had done with women. I said to someone that night, watch what happens in our culture over the next three weeks. You know, mm-hmm. first there will be outrage. Oh, I wouldn't want anyone talking to my daughter like that or my sister. You know, it's awful, right? Like that's, we're not going to tolerate that. Then there was, Um, A move towards minimizing it. Well, that was just locker room talk. That was you could turn on any cable news and hear that. It was locker room talk. Um, Boys will be boys. He didn't really mean that. You know, that's just how guys talk. I heard that over and over and over again. And what's disturbing to me is my daughter heard it at the time she was seventeen, and. I walked in the house that Saturday afternoon and she said, you wouldn't believe what they're saying on TV, you know, what Trump said. And I said, Well, what did what did he say? She was really upset by it. And she said, Mom, I can't repeat it. It's it's awful. My heart sung as a mother. I was like, Oh, I don't want her hearing that. You know, and I turned it on and listened to it, and I was angry. I was actually angry for weeks about that. Um, because we, our girls are listening to this stuff. And I, and she came to me it, during that time and said, is that really how boys talk in the locker room? Is that how men talk? Like, do they talk about girls behind our backs like that? So she was just like, what? That's not, I, are my guy friends talking like that? But, um, I said, honey, I, I haven't been in a men's locker room, but the men in our lives that I know, you know, do not talk about women like that. That is not you know, normal or that's not okay. And that's not, Um, but that's the culture. Our girls are being brought up. It's horrible what was said. So I don't, I don't want to get into politics here, but what was more horrible to me is the collusion around it Hmm. is the cultural minimizing of it.
1: So, so you said you could predict kind of how that conversation was going to go. I'm imagining you've seen that before. Is that a pretty is that a pretty standard way that it goes? Like mm-hmm. kind of outrage and then minimizing it and then yeah. kind of shifting the blame a little bit and victim and blaming and victim blaming. Right? Is right. that is that a typical that, trajectory? That is a very
2: kind of classic. That's what uh, we minimize and then we victim blame. And there was about eighteen nineteen women came out. Oh my goodness, they were put through. You know, it's one woman said it. She went into hiding because Mm. of all the. um, So we shifted away. And why do we do that? Because we want to protect those in power. It is really difficult to change and to shift power. Um, And theologically, if I don't get into that, uh, Reinhold Niebuhr in the twentieth century did a beautiful job of talking and analyzing that and saying, you know what, we're all sinful human beings. And we like power. We want power. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, man. We all like power. And we don't give it up voluntarily. We have to be coerced. And Martin Luther King built on that. Actually, he studied Niebuhr uh, quite a bit, and he would quote back Niebuhr quite a bit, talking about, you know— Because people would go to King and say, you know what? You don't need to change the law. Just tell people to love each other. If they're Christian, they just love each other. And he said, you know what? We should love each other, but we need laws because we're sinful, and I want to make it harder for them to lynch me. Um, And he understood the dynamics of power, that racism is built on power dynamics. You know, one group feeling privileged to have power over another. Um, and he knew the only way to change that is what he called active resistance against that. Well, it's the same with gender, you know, that we as sinful human beings hold on to power. And historically, in church history, in our American history, men have had power. Um, and it's difficult to let go of that. And so when you come up against those that power structure, whether it's in the church or institution or politically— they're very resistant to give it up. Mm -hmm. And so they will turn against, you know, whether it's women's groups or... um, I heard many Christians years ago talking about women like me who were doing this work as feminazis. One pastor came up to me and said, why do you hate men so much? I said, why do you think I hate men? I actually... Like my life. Oh, why why do you think I hate men? Because he felt threatened when I talked about the work, you know, mm. about women being equal to men and deserve to have that dignity. For some reason, internally, that threatened his power, mm. you know, or his ability to lead in his house or um, so this hierarchical understanding of gender is not biblical. Jesus, as you mentioned, was very radical in his approach to women, um, breaking all kinds of social norms. I was just like yesterday doing a study on um, the woman at the well. I mean, to talk to a woman alone, to talk to a foreign woman. Mm-hmm. And his disciples, as they came up, they're like shaken by that. What's he doing talking to her? You know. So again and again, Jesus ignored those power structures whether they were religious or legal to be human mm-hmm. you know that was what was important um, was the humanity of women and men um, and he's so relational and gracious and hospitable um, and yet it's so right it's so perplexing that within the Christian Church today we're struggling with gender inequality it's so anti-biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so culturally accepted, mm. but as Christians, we should be countercultural.
0: <laughs> so, so let me, um, I want to keep going with this and I, I do want to kind of come back, but one of the questions that I have, because, you know, you shared with us before the podcast that you're teaching a class about the 19th and 20th century and social justice. And, um, you know, so I look at, um, the abolitionist movement, they there's some coalescing of Christians there. Um, When I was in seminary, I did research on a Pentecostal pastor who basically they thank for Earth Day. And I actually had a 40-year-old pastor tell me, you need to get your facts straight. And anyways, but we won't go there. (laughs) I'll save that therapy for my wife. (laughs) But, um, you know, I guess I'm kind of curious. So I think we all can be here and admit the church and Christianity has gotten gender wrong. Just like those two issues, has there been in the 19th, 20th century, a group of Christians that were part of this movement to get it right? Or in your opinion, has Christianity always just lacked the fervor or are Mm -hmm. are we coming? Is that season now? Mm. Historically, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I also teach a course on women in church history. So I... You know, I like to give them a long view, too, although we zero in on different uh, periods, historical periods. But always through Christian history, women are trying to break through. Even the women mystics, you know, are always trying to find ways. In mysticism, it was, oh, God spoke to me. Who am I? A poor woman. Who? What do I know? But God spoke directly to me. Um, and so she would give her word to a male bishop or a male. So always trying to find ways of having power, being equal. Um, In the 19th century, out of abolitionist movement, women who were a part of that said, well, wait a minute, what about our rights? We can't vote. Um, We can't leave abusive husbands because we lose our children. We don't have rights to our children. We don't have property rights. Um, And so they started to... Gather around this, you know, suffrage, getting the vote. They realized the only way to get power is to get political power. But most of the leaders there were church women, were evangelical women. Um, And they really led that fight. Um, We were just uh, reading last night letters from the Grimke sisters, who are two 19th century wonderful women, um, who really appealed to Christians and appealed to their Christian sisters about how slave women were being treated. And they appealed to Christian men saying, you you are just keeping us down, and this goes against God's, um, the Mago Dei, how God created us in God's Word. Um, So you had um, a lot of women leading that movement. And then in the 20th century, Um, The feminist movement, post-civil rights movement, was more of a secular-type movement. And I I think we had a conservative um, kind of—well, in the evangelical church, I would say, in the last 30, 40 years, there has been kind of a conservative surge that um, has not been out there in terms of women's rights and um, so forth, which is unfortunate. Um, But there is in other areas of Christianity— So I think this, so the, I'm sorry, that's a long answer to the short answer is yes. Women have always, and Christian women have always um, worked in this area.
0: So something that I encounter that I, I think it's important for our listeners is, you know, I, I work with a phenomenal and remarkable group of women and I'll never forget being in a meeting and we were talking about raising up women, small group leaders and, you know, one of the men in the meeting was like, just ask them, get them to do it. And one of the women was like, do you know how hard it is, you know, for women to not only say yes to doing this, but then feel like a leader? And so one of the things that I'm anticipating about this episode, no matter where you fall theologically or politically, you know, can you speak to, and we're not asking you to represent all women, but in your experience, when, when women are asked to take a role or take a position, what are the perceived barriers to that, and why is that important for leaders to know?
2: I think in situations or cult, now, now we're talking more about kind of mini cultures, like a particular church. Right? Um, it depends on what that culture is. So, in my last church, there'd be just as many men working children's ministry as women. Our senior pastor was a woman. I mean, there just was not kind of a issue around gender because the culture was it doesn't matter. The focus was on people's gifts. So you would find just as many women leading as men and, you know, it was just uh, that type of thing. So I think um, it depends on the kind of culture and the teachings around and the supports for women um, because when there are openings and areas for leadership and support for that, I think women enter into. It. I don't know if I'm answering a question. Um, specifically. Well, you know
0: let's I, I, think, I think you're going in a really great direction because you know, one of the things is, you know, I'm thinking about the 24 year old male that is kind of like, what are you talking about? You know, we don't have gender inequality. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we've come, and it's kind of the same conversation about racism. Like, well, we made it this far. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I can imagine it's not just the church or nonprofits, but it's even, you know, it's even businesses. Like these 24-year-old males at some point could end up getting promotions, and all of a sudden they have to talk to a woman, And not, they believe that this woman should be raised up. Hmm. They believe, and all of a sudden they come to her and they and there's even some unfairness with it. Like, I want to promote you. And she might say, I don't feel qualified enough. I don't want to do it. And instead of that male in that role, like encouraging, pushing them forward, like he's like, well, I asked, I did what I was supposed to do Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. really understanding some of the complexities that you brought, even Mm -hmm. going back to, I'm a mystic, I've heard from God, I have to go to the bishop to talk to. So mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of the complexity that you know mm-hmm. I'd like you to speak to, because I think that there's leaders that are like, I want to get this right,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: there's not a complete, I wouldn't even just say understanding, but a sympathy or empathy to realize this is a long game, not a short game.
2: Yeah. I, I think what's really key is uh, creating space to really listen to women's experiences and that women move through the world differently. Um, so what leadership looks to some men sitting around the table might be very different than leadership mm. of women, right? Um, and without maybe disclosing too much, but I can share, I mean, I'm coming from running um, a women's program, large women's program. We have better women's shelters, rape crisis, so forth. All of the people I supervise, a great deal of people, were women. And we worked by consensus. Now, I couldn't always work by consensus because ultimately I have to make a decision. (laughs) Um, But I gather people into what's your opinion? It's very um, uh, kind of social in that way. I also work schedules around so and so just had a baby. Can she work these hours or work something from home? So my mindset is. Checking in with people, moving towards consensus, adapting to women's real life out there. I came into a new situation where I was the first woman hired, I mean, as a a professor. Um, And the first year I said to someone, I feel like I'm living in a different land. Honestly, I felt a little off because it, it wasn't that it was bad, but it was different. So decisions being made, um, not when I was around because of the male interactions, I wasn't in that place. So then when I would go in thinking, oh, we're going to have a long discussion and move to consensus, I, they'd sit down after three minutes and say, okay, let's vote. And I'd be like, wait a minute, what? Like, mm. what are we talking about? <laughs> like, I didn't, I need the background. And so I'd say, oh, we've already talked about that. Well. They talked about it maybe in the hallways or out on a boat or somewhere, <laughs> but they didn't talk about it with me. So there was just different that change, and I hope my voice also helped to, you know, draw attention to. Well, wait a minute, you know, um, I have something to say about that, and um, it's certainly not how it operates now at all. Um, but there, there is, I realize there's a different way also of men's experiences or the way um, they have leadership maybe than women's leadership too. Um, and there's been work done, a lot of work done on this in terms of communication, um, how men communicate differently uh, than women communicate.
1: Can you help us understand... Um in some way what do you think does the most harm to this to gender equality let's say in in our country obviously we we we're living in the culture of america right now mm-hmm. and that's the water that we swim in and i feel like sometimes we don't because it's the water we swim in we we don't have a recognition for for yeah. the parts of it that are like that's not Normal or that's mm-hmm. not good, or mm-hmm. uh what do you think does the most harm in our culture?
2: Yeah. I I really think it is around the issue, and I know I keep beating the same drum, yeah. uh the issue of women not occupying the same space leadership space as men. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um what it really drove home for me a couple years ago. I went to a conference, it was on gender reconciliation. And I was invited by a friend who was in Boston. And it was for those who have been doing this work for a while or interested. So, but they were very, it was very clear cut who was invited. It was 25 men and 25 women. They wanted it even. And it was three days of experiential.
1: Mm.
2: It wasn't content. So it was all these back and forth conversations between women and men. It was the most powerful conference I've ever went to. But they did one exercise where they had the men sit along one wall. And the women sat opposite along another wall. And then they read these scenarios and said, please stand if in the last month you have experienced, for example, um, walking to your car and watch, being aware, kind of hyper aware of who's around you. And, you know, um, most of the women stood. To me, that's just an obvious. Very few or no men um, stood. And they went on. There must have been about 40 questions. Mm. It was dramatic, uh, and they've got. We got to know each other very well, so some of the questions were very personal. Like, you know, if you've been ever been sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. stand. Um, probably about fifty percent of the women stood. Wow. Um, and one or two uh, men. He had a lot of boys are also sexually abused too, um, and went through. And it pretty much, even though we're all very experienced in the field, experiencing that with one another was very powerful. And then there was another exercise where the they divided the group up. So 12 women sat in a circle and shared ways, what we wanted to share, uh, that we had experienced abuse or gender inequality or pain as a result of gender any gender issue. The men sat around, and they couldn't say anything. They had to listen to the 12 mm. stories. Later, they could reflect generally on how it impacted them, not on the stories themselves. I don't know if there was a guy sitting around the circle that, wasn't in tears and Mm -hmm. it was very powerful and it was interesting listening to them saying i had no idea or i kind of knew numbers in my head but to hear the stories Mm -hmm. you know it's like my goodness no wonder women feel the way they did now we did the same thing we sat Mm -hmm. around listened to men tell stories and a lot of those centered around boys being shamed um around gender stuff you know being too weak or being a sissy or that that kind of stuff um it was really powerful, and I realized, wow, if we don't create space to listen to each other and each other's stories and work very hard not to minimize them, because that's what we naturally do, um, or victim blame, or distance ourselves from it, I think we'll have transformative experiences. I think if we do that in the churches, it'll be transformative. Um, and also recognize just the reality, when you have leadership— up to both genders, just like ethnic and racial diversity, it is much richer. The leadership is so much better um, because you're hearing new ideas you wouldn't have thought of and different um, experiences. So,
1: yeah. I think it's really interesting that you're bringing up this point because in one of our other episodes, we were talking to James Noble about the idea of justice. And I I was asking him the question about what could you do, what could young people today do to advance the idea of justice further? Like practically speaking. Mm -hmm. And his answer to that was they need to be involved in other people's lives and listen to them, the people who aren't like them, that's actually Mm -hmm. justice. And it's almost the same thing that you're saying right now in terms of equality like something that's missing from our society is the ability to look at people who aren't like you whether that's you know male female and go let me enter your world right and understand is that is that the essence yeah. of what you're trying what you're communicating there
2: absolutely yeah i, I really think it's key um you know I, when the me too movement broke out and all the It was interesting on my Facebook feed how many men I knew or acquaintances were male who made similar comments around, wow, I had no... Because a lot of the women I knew were saying me too at the end, like Hmm. hashtag me too the end. Um, And the male response or men I knew in my life were saying, wow, I knew it was a problem. I had no idea my aunt experience. I had no idea... Hmm. My, the, my co-workers experienced it. Um, how prevalent, and they were blown away by that. Mm-hmm. And some of the men, where I was seeing their comments, um, I was a little blown away that they were blown away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. was like, these are men who are very like with it and on top of it. And like, why are you so surprised? But <laughs> but that because again, I, I just assume most women have had experiences like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the world men mm. kind of occupy. And it happens at such a young, young age, unfortunately, those messages, you know, of um, the differences. Can I tell you a real quick story?
1: Sure. sure. Okay. Yeah.
2: So when my daughter was very, I used to teach, um, well, I still teach, um, but sometimes late at night. This was before online teaching, too. So our, some of our classes went till 10 o'clock at night. So I'd have at least one night, sometimes two nights, teaching at 10. I'd get home at 10.30. My daughter's very young. Babysitter would go home. But I noticed like a pattern. If I was at work, coming home at 10.30, she'd stick her little head out the window. Hi, mommy. you know, And she'd be awake. Um, And so one night I said to her, honey, I love greeting you when I come home. But it's 10.30 at night. You're not getting enough sleep for school. And I'm wondering, do you feel like you need to make yourself stay awake until I'm home? And she said, "Oh, mommy, I I have to. I have to make sure you're safe." I said, "What do you What do you mean safe, honey?" She said, "Well, I'm afraid you're going to get raped walking to the car after school." Hmm. I, I my heart just. She was like six years old. Mm-hmm. I didn't know she even knew that word. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think she ever heard me say that. Um, I said, "Honey, do you know what the word rape means?" And she said, "When men hurt women." And I didn't get into it with her. I just said. Honey, I want you to rest assured. I don't walk to my car alone. I'm safe. You can go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how girl, and I could tell you several stories if you have daughters. Mm You might that girls pick up very young. It's not safe out there. Or and I, you know, I'm dealing with mother guilt going. Is there some reason I didn't, you know, she doesn't feel safe, or where did she gain these messages? But very um, young, they pick up different experiences men and women have. Just um, sad,
0: you know. Before we close up, I <clears throat> I want to give you the opportunity because you know our hope is is as people listen to you talk that it would actually start conversations. So um, you know, just talking to John and me. And then also to the rest, we don't represent all the men, but what questions do you wish men would ask women? You know, what conversations do you wish? And, you know, I want to just encourage you to get super practical because I think that there's kind of a missing link. And I think even in just, this is a question, ask it, shut up. And, you know, are we allowed to say shut up on the, I don't know, but anyways, uh, yeah, just, I'd love to hear from you on that.
2: Uh, yeah, I think, for example, if we're in a church setting, um, I would hope there'd be opportunities where men can ask women, what do you, what do you think, even maybe anonymously with a, just starting with kind of a sheet, like, do you think we have a gender equality in this church? If not, how do you see that play out? You know, Give me some examples. What are some examples of uh, in situations where there's not gender equality? Do you feel heard? Do you feel your voice is heard and your experiences are heard? Um, Are there enough opportunities for leadership, you know, in this church? Why, why not? Um, Like have a starting point for conversation. So you might be thinking you're doing really well in terms of gender equality and be surprised at, you know, some of those experiences. Um, Always make sure a church provides... Safety for women, but being a what I call a safe church means having resources for women who are abused. Um, having uh, literature that's out there, you know, la- women should go into the ladies' room, close the door, stall door, and see a sticker there saying, "If any of these things are happening to you, we care. Please call Pastor Betty or somebody." Um, so there should be signals all the time. There should be sermons on certain. Months or you know October is Domestic Violence Month, April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. There could be a time, you know, where there are open discussions about. The more open discussions are, the safer it is, and the more opportunities. But you also have to be ready, and you have the men in leadership have to be ready to be uncomfortable. Say okay, we're not going to just listen and then go. Thanks so much, and move on. You are you. You have. To, everyone's got to ask themselves: Are we willing to change? Are we willing to let go of some power, even though we say we are? Are we really? You know, am I willing to step down from leadership of a ministry I've been leader of for ten years to allow space for a woman to be in leadership or to rotate those things? Um, So a lot of it does come down to a mindset of humility and listening and thinking about having discussion about what is power. I mean, really, biblically, all power belongs to God, not to us. (laughs) Um, So um, are we willing to really live that out and be true servants to each other?
1: Sounds like what you're saying is we need to be— okay with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in some regard and you would think that well that first of all that's a major countercultural thing i think our society love we love our comfort Mm -hmm. you know but as christians that's kind of what we're called to we're called to this idea of not like we reject comfort like that 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 is i don't like saying that because i just like you know I'm talking at myself when I'm saying that, but uh, that that is, you know, Mm -hmm. we we follow somebody who rejected all the comfort, more comfort than we could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that is I, I really, really appreciate your insight in that. I think that that brings us really nicely into our segue that we try to end every conversation with, which is what would Jesus tell us about this topic? Um, And so Peter and I typically will go first in this and let you have the last word, because I feel like in this matter, your last word will be a lot more valuable than our last word. Um, And so we, I think, can speak to that from our side. Peter, what do you... What are your perceptions on this?
0: Well, I, <clears throat> I hope our listeners feel like they went to seminary. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I know I do. So uh, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. This is why we do this podcast, yeah, yeah. so we can invite people to teach us. Okay. So this is great. Um, you know, I'm looking at Philippians 2 right now, and uh, it says this. It talks about Jesus, and it says, Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant be made in human likeness. And uh, it goes on to say that he humbled himself and obedient. And um, if Jesus was a Middle Eastern man and lived out this passage, and we've already talked about towards women, how much more are we called, no matter what our gender, to live out this passage? And, you know, again, going back to where we started, you know, You may not agree everything that Beth said politically or theologically, but that doesn't negate the fact that there are women and, you know, men that have been through painful things that still call us to serve. And, um, you know, I I think that this issue personally, um, it is scary and it is messy. But I go back to what Beth said we are richer when we work better together. Mm. And, um, you know, I I think that there's this fear that we're going to mess up. And I think in some ways we have to humble ourselves in such a way that there's far more grace than we realize. But the investment that we make today is something that God will bring return, you know, a day week, but years down the road. And we have to be willing to make that investment in the gender equality discussion. So I think that's, where I'd go, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, that's good. I mean, I just think of the example of Jesus, and he had a lot of women who he was friends with, and that would fo- that were followers of him. Mm-hmm. And as I think about that, that's pretty significant because no, because they did that willingly, mm-hmm. and in order for them to do that willingly, they would have had to have seen something in Jesus probably that was remarkably different than anybody that they were used to seeing on their daily life. Mm -hmm. And I hope to, that that can be true of any of us who say we follow Jesus, you know, that that would be true that they, that people would look at us and go, wow, that's a person that's worthy of following Mm -hmm. regardless of Mm -hmm. gender, because there's something unique about that person. They're following somebody that's beyond them. Um, Beth, how would you?
2: Yeah, well, Uh, really, what you just said really ties into what I'm working on, uh, which is a talk for chapel next Monday. Um, And I've been thinking a lot about the invitation Jesus offers. Um, And if you read through the Gospels, I just think this theme of invitation is very, is throughout every encounter he has. There's an invitation Um, And it's always gracious and loving and non-judgmental. And like you said, I was thinking about with the woman at the well and woman caught in adultery and so forth. What was it about Jesus that they weren't, you know, the woman at the well didn't go in hiding afterwards. She says she went out and told everybody about Jesus and even says, and he told me what I've done Right, that is like, it gives me chills actually. Um, so it's Jesus' incredible gracious love and the positions he put women in. I mean, when the gospel, Mary at the tomb, right? It's the first one who sees Jesus and he says, go tell the others, right? She's a first disciple. Mary, his mother, is a first disciple. Um, and in the early church, women were leaders. We know until the fourth century, women were leaders alongside men. That's what made the Christian churches unique in the culture. Um, and so, you know, I I think it takes a lot of theological reflection and prayer and time listening to each other, um, to move in the way of Jesus and to be discipled. Um, it's really, and it's painful too, because we do have to give up our comforts. Um, and we all, whether it's women or men, I have my own struggles or I'm always like, oh, okay, Lord, back to the cross again because I'm being materialistic and I'm so, you know, but um, so we all have sinfulness and I think gender inequality is, a, is a sin. Um, and I think it is the soil that violence against women grows in. Um, and that's how I think that's cult our culture. I think unfortunately our church has gotten wrapped in that. Um, and we're not going to end violence against women and abuse against women and sexual assault unless we're willing to really confront gender inequality. And I think men, if I have one final plea, I think men need to come alongside of the women working in this. And I've I've been looking for men to come alongside me. When I do speaking engagements, please come, get educated and then come and talk with me. Um, Because we need men to hear other men say, this is not a woman's issue. Um, And I think men need to hear men say that, more than me say that.
0: We're Beth, uh, we're so thankful for you and your work. Um, And uh, again, we hope that this episode sparks some very real conversation, whether you come to church or not. Um, I hope you've gotten a perspective um, that's very different um, than maybe what you might have perceived. So if you have any questions or comments, we'd ask you to go to com. We are on social media. Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, um, it's very helpful if you could leave us a review. We hope you have a great day. Thank you so much.